0: We're glad to be with you, as always, this week. And a special hello to all of our friends. Uh, Special recognition, Randy, to a number of people who have written us, that they have listened to all 200 plus...
1: 203 podcasts, that's right. We had kind of a transition this week, Mark, because of a um, a kind of a technical problem that we experienced that uh, Mm -hmm. forced us to make a change in who is hosting our podcast I guess it is quite unusual and out of the ordinary uh, that uh, anyone would attempt to archive 203 podcasts. Evidently,
0: there's generally not that much storage in some of these host sites. Well,
1: um, and and the more that you attempt to store, the more complicated it gets. It also gets more expensive as we're trying to buy more and more space. Uh, That being said, um, we have a new podcast host which is called SoundCloud. But if you go to faithfulandtrue.com and in the menu, click on MOV podcasts, it's going to bring you to our new show page. And there you will see the, um, the podcast from 2016. I think currently we have like 33 shows available. So we're going to be unable to offer all of the previous shows, but fear not, we have... Many of those shows available to you in either an MP3 download product or a hard CD product right. uh, by going to our uh, online bookstore at faithfulandtrue.com and uh, and check that out the uh, the downloadable. MP3 files are under e-products, and the CDs, are, of course, would be under CDs. We got a very nice request this week uh, from one of our regular guys. Uh, lives down in Florida, and uh, you'll recall when you and I uh, last right. December were down in Miami, and right. we uh, were host- they were hosting us uh, for the men uh, for the Fight of Your Life event, and we had a terrific group of guys that drove all the way from. Was it Orlando, Orlando. or Tampa? Or, you no, know? it was Orlando, I think. Yeah. yeah, and they drove all the way from Orlando down to Miami uh, to attend the event, which was just outstanding. They've made their request. Uh, their group is using the Life Recovery Guide for Men uh, as a group-leading um, vehicle. Yeah, right. And uh, they said, we're about to start the study on the Nehemiah Principles, and they would just love it if we would do a series of shows based on these principles.
0: That is right, and uh, I was just thinking about that. I mean, to drive from Orlando to Miami, you have to go through the swamp. That's right. The the Everglades, that is, and uh, uh, make it sound worse than it is. But uh, it's uh, kind of barren country there, and so we were kind of impressed that uh, they got up early enough, I think it was, to drive down that morning, which means they were probably driving in the middle of the night. Do you recall the weather that day? Yeah, the weather was awful. It was a, We were having a series of Fight of Your Life events in uh, monsoon. <laughs> Torrential downpours. Uh, uh, we had the same thing the following month in Houston. In Houston, yeah. Right, and we were lucky both times to uh, get, get away off, with our get, lives. <laughs> get away with our lives. I remember those rides to the airport. Uh, but uh, so... Um, there's a, a bit of an explanation here, because I know that uh, many of our listeners will be familiar with my book, The Seven Principles of Highly Accountable Men. And uh, there's a earlier history to my teaching of the book of Nehemiah, and that is that when I first started looking at Nehemiah and teaching this, I actually came up with 18 principles. And when it came time to do a book uh, about it, the uh, publisher, the editors, were um, thinking that uh, dumbing it down to or narrowing it down to seven would, first of all, be a good thing for the title because they claim that anything with um, seven on the title uh, is likely to sell more books. And I do remember that, uh, you know, while on the one hand that's possible to do, it does miss some of the other things that can be gleaned from basically Nehemiah uh, chapters one through six. So by special request, and because there are groups like theirs in Orlando that uh are working through the life guide and they do have at the end of the life guide these 18 principles. It would give us a, a kind of a forum and a vehicle to uh, get into that material.
1: And we always appreciate the input from our listeners. We're, we're, we're constantly being amazed and inspired when we're hearing uh, receiving emails at info at faithful and com, in which we're being told that a group is listening to the podcast, right. have listened to 200 plus of the podcast. And, uh, you know, that's really just been always our goal and dream with this, yeah. uh, with this program is to reach out to men and women alike, uh, because we have a lot of spouses that are now joining their husbands in listening to these shows. Right. So, uh, to get some show ideas, uh, directly from the listeners, uh, is the ultimate compliment to
0: us. That's right. So, let's just launch into it and we'll see how it goes. Um and obviously with all of these we're we're trying to be relevant to our listeners and their program of recovery. So, uh I guess I'm feeling led to give a little background to the book of Nehemiah. I think in a way sometimes the the podcast occasionally becomes a, like a Bible study and this is the kind of things you you would learn in a Bible study, but I I think it's highly significant that the uh the book of Nehemiah is uh, written at a time when the Jews have been in captivity for 140 years. The book of Nehemiah takes place in roughly uh, 545 BC, in 685 BC, uh, which is 140 years earlier. You know, when I when I get to BC, you know, you always have to remember that the higher numbers are earlier times. That was when the uh, Babylonian Empire, which was in power in the Middle East in those days, had laid siege to Jerusalem for 20 years. It started in 605 B.C., and uh, the wall of uh, Jerusalem had prevented them from gaining access to the city, and this siege had taken place for for 20 years. And when you think about that, that's quite a long, significant period of time. To to be under attack. To be under constant attack. Um, but finally, in 585 B.C., the wall was breached and uh, the Babylonians came into the city. They they uh, destroyed everything, including the wall. And the wall was uh, in pieces and, you know, crumbled and uh, the, you know, temple and, you know, lots of other things were destroyed. And in the process, uh, you know, a bunch of the Jews were hauled off into captivity as slaves. And uh, this period of captivity that starts here you know is a significant part of the old testament because you know the jews in captivity there there are books that were written during this time like lamentations and and um, so forth uh, esther and nehemiah are two of the books that are also written during this time of captivity what happened in the meantime in that 140 years is that the the persian empire gained uh, ascendancy uh conquered the babylonians and with uh, that the, all the jews got more or less transferred into the Persian Empire. It wasn't always that bad. The Persians uh, were generally benevolent rulers, and uh, they they oftentimes included uh, some of the Jews, even though they were slaves, in uh, government positions. We also know, of course, the Book of Esther, that uh, one of their kings uh, married Esther, and she was queen of Persia. So uh, it wasn't that terrible all the time, and uh The Jews actually in Persia were, for the most part, leading a rather comfortable life. Nehemiah himself was given one of those government positions. He uh, was the uh, cupbearer to the king. The cupbearer's job was to prepare the wine and the food for the king. He would partake of it to make sure that no one was trying to uh, poison the king. And uh, then the king would eat. So his job required him to live in the palace and uh, to hang out uh, on a daily basis, several times a day, actually, with the king. And when you think about that, that uh, if you're a slave, you get to hang out regularly with, at this point in history, uh, a person who is the most powerful man in the universe. His name at the time was uh, Artaxerxes I, and uh, he reigned for uh, about uh, 40 years from uh, 465 B.C. to 425 B.C., and is generally considered to be one of the greatest uh, uh, ancient kings of all time. And the reason for that is he was powerful, he was effective, and uh, he was kind. And that's a, also a significant part of our story, as we'll see when we get to uh, several of the later principles. He was the son of Darius the uh, First, you know, the guy who had you know gained all this power for Persia. So um, that is the scene that, uh, uh, as chapter one opens. Uh, the Bible tells us that there is a delegation, including Hanani, uh, one of Nehemiah's brothers. I think what's significant here is that Nehemiah was in captivity. Uh, maybe you know some of his family was still back in Jerusalem. And he himself had never been to Jerusalem. He had never seen it. So one of the things, though, that's significant in this story is that the Jews, uh, even though they were in captivity and, as I said, living a fairly comfortable life, They always look to Jerusalem as being home. So the delegation comes, and they're going to appeal to that sense of uh, loyalty, because what they say to Nehemiah is a very simple message, and it uh, is this. Do you not know the condition of the city of our fathers? You know, the ancestry of the Jewish people going back to Jerusalem. Gates have been destroyed and, you know, uh, burned by fire, and that's all they said, and... uh, then we get to uh, Nehemiah's response to that, which uh, I've always been fascinated with. Uh, because Nehemiah, I think generally by the average Christian, is considered to be one of the great leaders in the Old Testament, and he is. He, he does become that. But at this point in time, uh, that's, uh, he's not going to have a leadership response.
1: At that point, I want to he- leave the listeners on the edge of their uh, seats okay. because you have set the stage beautifully for this story and why don't we take our short break right now, and when we come back, you can share with our listeners what Nehemiah's response was to that question. You're listening to Dr. Mark Laser, and this is the Men of Valor program. Every now and then when you feel like you are on your own, sing this song and remember you are never all alone, because Jesus loves you. at faithfulandtrue.com to learn more. That's FaithfulAndTrue.com
0: Jesus loves you. Jesus
1: loves, you. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Jesus loves me. Yes. Jesus loves me. Yes. Jesus loves me, yes. Jesus loves me. Yes. Jesus loves me time. time now for the trigger of the week.
0: Trigger of the week, Randy. We did uh remember last night to uh poll the Tuesday night men's counseling group. Uh we had a large number there last night, 17. So I thought we would get a lot of response to this, but the average response had more to do with the election which we was going on last night and we uh we covered that last week in terms of being a stressor. So uh but then several of the men mentioned the same thing.
1: Totally unrelated to the to, to totally the election. unrelated to the election, <laughs> uh,
0: and uh, that was uh, something that I I'll have to admit uh, was news to me, uh, although it does seem remotely familiar. But uh, it's a uh, bedazzled I think is the name of it. I
1: believe that's the term bedazzled jeans. Jeans,
0: uh, and uh, evidently uh, this involves uh, spangles, sparkles. I don't know what little were,
1: artificial diamond,
0: anything that uh, reflects light,
1: reflects light mm-hmm.
0: being sewn onto the, uh, backside the, the backside of women's jeans. The backside of women's jeans—that's mm-hmm. an appropriate way to put it. I and, worked.
1: Uh, I worked hard on that
0: one. <laughs> well, good. I'm, you know, I'm glad we don't want to ourselves be the trigger here. No. But um, so they were saying that they just noticed that this thing that fashion, fashion phenomenon, fashion dynamic, yeah, uh, was causing them to hyperfocus on that part of a woman's anatomy and uh, that was a trigger. We brought this up today at lunch and uh, (laughs) with our staff, including uh, Debbie, my wife, uh, Susie Schmidt, one of our counselors here, and uh, our administrator, Sherry Troutman. And uh, we had quite a lively conversation because I won't say which one, but one of them owns a pair of those jeans. (laughs) Well, I can't say it's not my wife. So, well, we might as well say it's Sherry. So, uh, (laughs) And and, uh, she was You know, Sherry is completely innocent of any (laughs) you know (laughs) uh, bad motives for this. Yeah. But uh, look up the word humble in the in in the uh,
1: dictionary. There's a picture of Sherry there. She is the most unassuming Unassuming. and non-aggressive, you know, uh, individual, and and as sweet as the day day is long. And but when she realized that she was wearing something that is considered to be a trigger she was basically taken aback right
0: right so uh it goes to show you that i think a lot of women who are wearing this are wearing it because of the fashion or you know they they have no idea really that uh you know something like that could be possibly triggering but i think the main thing we should uh, remind our listeners when it comes to these triggers is that one of our definitions of triggers is that triggers are in the mind of the beholder. the fact that I haven't noticed it I, I'm guessing is because it's not a trigger for me. I'm guessing that there's a vast majority of the people for whom something like this is not a sexual trigger but for men struggling with addiction, anything that calls attention to you know various parts of the anatomy uh, can profoundly be a trigger so now you know what we are not saying by the way uh, for all of those listening is that, you know, if you have a pair of these jeans, just automatically trash them. Uh, it's not your responsibility. Uh, as long as you consider them to be within your realm of fashion or modesty, uh, that's fine. Uh, what what needs to happen here is that these men need to deal with their triggers in some of the healthy ways that we teach. So we cannot rid the world of sexual stimuli. So we better darn well get used to the fact that on a daily basis, there's going to be something out there that triggers us, and you better, you better know how to... Uh, to uh, deal with that when it happens.
1: Well, let's bring our listeners back to to today's show, which is show number one in our new study on the uh, Nehemiah Principles. Nehemiah Principle 1, which actually is accountability begins with humility. And when we uh, went to the break, you were about to share with us uh, what Nehemiah's response was to uh, his brother's statement.
0: Yeah, and whenever I think about this response, uh, whenever I teach this one, I'm I'm aware of the fact that, you know, the evangelical culture in the last 20 30 years has been profoundly influenced by leadership conferences. Uh one of the great churches in our nation, uh, Willow Creek Church in uh, Barrington, Illinois, started uh I I think they they were the ones that started uh having a really mega nationwide leadership conference and they would bring in, you know, big name speakers. They still do. They've had uh unbelievably profound uh, speakers at this conference Debbie and I uh, attended it one year and uh, uh, I was I walked out of there you know I was full of adrenaline uh, I was uh, ready to lead something I you know was full of new visions uh, uh, I mean it was really inspiring they they would divide the audience into states and we sat in of course in the Minnesota section and we sat right behind at that time the governor of our state uh, uh, Tim Palente who is a uh, Profound Christian and and his and his very lovely wife who was a judge, um, and it was just a totally impressive thing. And and uh, you come out of those conferences, you want to lead something. And I I look at this passage in Nehemiah and said, you know, he'd obviously not been to a leadership conference because, you know, these the, the, these guys, what were they saying? You know, the the delegation from Jerusalem, they were saying, do something about this. You know, for 140 years the Jews have been frustrated. I mean, they've They've made attempts to rebuild the city without success. The enemies, as we'll see, around Jerusalem continually thwarted all the efforts to rebuild the city. They were desperate. They were frustrated. They were feeling uh, powerless. And they knew Nehemiah had access to the most powerful man in the universe. And they were saying, do something, lead us, You know, figure out a strategy here. And what... You know, you'd like to think, I suppose, those of us that have this leadership training, he would have stood up and been incensed and angry and said, I'm going to talk to the king like right now. We're going to get something done. And that's not at all what happens. Uh, Verse 4, I think it is, of uh, chapter 1 says, When I heard that news for days, I sat down and wept. Now we'll see in some of the later principles uh, uh, that it's a very long period of mourning. It's actually a nine-month period of time before anything uh, happens again in this story. So he is sad for a very long time. He is disconsolate. He is perhaps despairing and depressed. And uh, that leads us to our first principle of accountability. And uh, Because what you realize at this point is that based on Nehemiah's own internal uh, strength and awareness, nothing was going to happen. He was just crying. He was just sad. And at some point here, though, and we'll see this in principle two, he is going to pray. And uh, we might as well you know, just mention principle two because principle one, when you recognize your own powerlessness, when you recognize your own brokenness, when you recognize your own sadness, I think that's when we realize that we're going to need some help. You,
1: fi- you find your humility in your sadness. That's right. That's right.
0: I was just thinking, Randy, that last night we had a, a man in uh, our... Counseling group that was just so completely despairing of his uh, marriage. He went on and on and on about some of the dynamics that, despite some counseling and so forth, have just not changed over the last several years. He was angry, he was upset, he was uh, desperate. And in many ways, he just needed to be heard by his community about how uh, desperate he was. And I know, you know, these are times when uh, the group looks to me, you know, and they, they want me to say something wise. Well, you know, here's the steps you can take to, um, heal your marriage. You know, here's step one, two, and three. And I'll be honest. I, when I was listening to him and I, I actually know the situation, I know his wife, I felt powerless too. And, uh, I don't myself see right now through psychology or through counseling, you know, any way out of this, um, uh, this couple has been stuck, uh, for years. And, Basically, when everybody had been kind of giving him some feedback about understanding, having been there themselves in their own marriages uh, and all of that, I know they were looking for me and looking to me. And I I just simply asked him a question. I I said, How many of you here um, take time in your daily quiet time, meditation, uh, Bible study? How many of you take time to pray uh, for each other? And they they assured me that they, in fact, uh, did that. And uh, I said, um, I understand that sometimes, you know, some of our brothers ask us for prayer, and, you know, we may be going through a prayer in the morning and we may mention that brother's name. Uh, I'm asking you this week the only thing I can think of to do here is let us earnestly, let us all earnestly pray for a miracle. Let us pray to God that God somehow intervenes in this situation. And, uh, speaks into the heart of both of these people directly through the power of the Holy Spirit. And let us just consciously really ask God for that to happen. And you know, I, what, what I'm saying is it's my own recognition, even as a counselor uh, after 30 years of recovery, that uh, there are times when I feel powerless. There's times when I am completely humbled by the situations that walk through our door. And um, in those times, I think, you know, what we need to remember that uh, we need to do first is pray. In the recovery program, uh, we talk a lot about the fact that, you know, the average addict has relied on his own strength, his own wisdom, you know, has had the feeling somewhere inside that, you know, I could stop if I really wanted to. Um, We always remind the addicts, you know, when they're in these places of the old Alcoholics Anonymous saying that uh, it is your own best thinking that got you into this room, meaning the 12-step room for Alcoholics Anonymous. And recovery begins with an admission that we ourselves are uh, at the end of our rope. We uh, have tried lots of things. We have thought lots of things. And uh, none of it seems to have worked. And, you know, most of us at this point also realize that we've never talked to anybody. We've never disclosed. We've never been honest. And we've been trying to do this all alone. So principle number one of, uh, accountability. Accountability cannot proceed if you're not willing to ask God, first of all, and then your community for the help that you're going to need.
1: Well, I like how you say in the book that you may find uh, humility in your sadness as you consider the destructive nature of your, sexu- of your sexual sin right. and your acting out. And right. sadness over your current state in the beginning is the beginning of transformation. Right. Because once you have hit that that stage of humility and realization yeah. of the, um, the errors of your way, it's only then that God is allowed to be put into the position of transforming your life. That's right.
0: That's right. So,
1: so how can we wrap up this very first principle, Mark, as we've come to the end of today's show?
0: Well, I think it's an encouragement to all of our listeners uh, that it really is uh, a source of your own courage to admit how powerless you are. Sometimes we rehearse with people the history of their acting out to remind them of how powerless they are. I myself experience that this is an act of surrender, and any time we surrender to God, uh, a, a, a mighty sense of peace is going to descend upon us. When we know we are out of control, God is still on his throne, and he is watching out for us, that is the peace that we all seek, and it only comes through an admission of our own Weakness.
1: You have been listening to Dr. Mark Lazer. I'm Randy Everett, your co host, and we thank you for joining us this week. Uh, We hope that this new series will be a blessing for you as we attempt uh, to uh, guide you through these 18 principles of Nehemiah. We hope that this coming week will be a week for you that will be filled with the realization of the sins that we have all, uh, in one way or another, uh, acted. Uh, or performed, and that God, uh, in his mighty wisdom and forgiveness, will uh, cleanse our heart of our sins. Until we join you next week, have a week filled with many blessings and great vision. You've been listening to the Men of
0: Valor program with Dr. Mark Laser. For information about this program or to learn more about Faithful and True, visit us at faithfulandtrue.com. That's faithfulandtrue.com.